Texas Country Day podcast, and man, do we have a great guest for you today, Mr. Scotty Alexander is on Texas Country Day, but before we get to Scotty, I gotta say a huge thank you to the sponsors that I would not be able to do this with, uh, or I should say, without them, I wouldn't be able to do this, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, Uh, (laughs) first of which is smithmusic.com, smithmusic.com is the leader in uh, music distri- digital music distribution, one of the, the very first pioneers uh, negotiating contracts with Apple Music with their Live at Billy Bob's album that Rick Smith put out. Um, so they're just a great opportunity f- uh, for music and uh, video distribution and uh, one of the leaders in what they do. Um, they become a real part of your family when they do it. Uh, next up is Sharp Supply Leather Company. If you're looking for... Uh, uh, I, I've been calling them dap kits. That's what I call them my whole life. But they're dop kits, and it's basically a shaving kit. But if you're looking for a nice custom leather shaving kits, dop kits, or if uh, if you're an artist and you're looking for an awesome leather guitar strap, Josh Sharp with Sharp Supply Leather Company makes some really beautiful ones. Um, if you want to see some of his work, just look no further than Josh Ward, Randy Brown, Dusty Motes, and a bunch of other guys out there. Um, next up, R. Watson Boots. R. Watson Boots, kind of a new guy on the playing field, but making some of the nicest handcrafted boots um, in Texas. So be sure to check out R. Watson Boots. Um, almost through with the sponsors. Got a couple more here. We got <laughs> Texas Select Beverage Company. Texas Select Beverage is one of the best non-alcoholic um, beverage companies out there, making non-alcoholic beers, teas, wines, sodas, and uh, if you ask my co-host partner, Dusty Motes, who is not with us today. The root beer is the way to go. Uh, next up, Fort Worth Camera. If you're in the Fort Worth area and you need professional camera uh, equipment, or if you are just a, a novel uh, photographer and you need help editing or don't want to do the editing yourself, or if you got old film that you need preserved, whatever it is, Fort Worth Camera can help you out. And last but not least, Cinco Cameras. Cinco, uh, excuse me, Cinco Cameras. Cinco Microphones. Uh, Single Microphones provides all the microphones for Texas Country Day Radio and Texas Country Day Podcasts, as well as Texas Country Music News. So the best affordable option for uh, microphones um, that perform as good as the multi-thousand dollar microphones out there. But now that I got all that word vomit out, Scotty, how you doing? (laughs) Dude, look at your goal. You got all them sponsors. I was back here. I was ready to play you. I was ready to play you like... Like play some background music while you were doing all your ads. That's great, man. No, yeah. Ryan, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on today, and uh, and and happy you're kicking butt over there. That's great, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I um, going back. I had Bree Bagwell on not too long ago, and um, I I got to say the first time that I saw Bree was actually the first time I saw you. You opened for her down at the downtown Cowtown uh, ah. Isis Theater. And uh, basically played to an empty room, but you played your heart out, and it was one of the big reasons why I started my first company of Texas Country Music News. So, um, you know, big thank you to you for, um, you know, not not just laying over and being like, ah, it's an empty crowd, I can just kind of lay off today. No, no you way, man. played your heart out, man. Well, good, man. That's right. That was our first encounter, and, uh, you know, Breeze's sweetheart, we love her, and, and uh Hopefully, uh, well, we do have a date coming up with her in two weeks. Uh, we're playing the Boots for Troops concert in the country, and it's going to be uh, us and Bree Bagwell and Randall King and Joe Nichols. I think is the boy. That'll be a that'll be a great show. Uh, anytime you get Joe Nichols out there, man. Yeah, like, right. And Randall King too. Not not to mention you and you and Bree, but I mean, Randall's been kicking butt lately, so. Well, yeah, right. In, I'm in the totem pole down here, right? You've got your Parker McCollum's 
and your Randall Kings, and yeah. you know, and it's it's great to see it's great to see everybody's progression because that's why we're here. We're trying to we're trying to get our music out to different people, and you see, like our friends Kinfo, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I watched Kinfo just start to skyrocket over the last year, and now going into 24, they're going to reach that they're going to reach that Randall King level. You know what I mean? They're going to yep. get that place on the totem pole, and we've come up, you know, from three years ago where it was just me and a guitar to you know then it was a three-piece and now it's a four-piece and now we're you know we almost sold out Dosido last time we played out in uh, spring in the woodlands and sure. you know now we're doing more dates with Bree. we're opening up for Corey morrow this weekend at the heights theater in houston so we're clawing away you know what i mean like we're we're yeah. on that thing and that's what you're in business for right that's what you're trying to do just get the music out Absolutely. Well, um, now I know who who you are, and I've done a lot of research on um, your, your your past and history because you've got kind of a an interesting path to a solo career. We'll say it, we'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but for those that don't know who you are, uh, can you just kind of give people a little rundown of of who Scotty Alexander is from your point of view? Wow. Um, I know. Well. I- yeah, okay, so here's the cliff notes, right? Here's the abridgment of it. I've been a solo artist off and on at different points of my life, but not truly all in seriously till about four years ago. So the couple decades before that that I've been in the music business, or actually three, I mean, it started when I was six years old as a child act, right, for uh, sure. opening act for Bob Hope. Nobody remembers Bob Hope anymore, but I was six years old. And uh, Mr. Hope would take me out to open the show and sing the anthem. Uh, by the time I got up into my teens, I'd already put out a record and had a bus, and we were touring fairs and rodeos as the kid act. Yeah, that played all the instruments. You know, it's kind of like the sure. freak show chicken at the circus. You know, come <laughs> 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 see the little boy from the woods who plays all the instruments. <laughs> Yeah, so I did that for several years. And then by the time I was 19, um, I guess I was done with that portion of working, you know, basically for that stretch from the time I was a kid on. So I moved to Vegas. Uh, Big country explosion at that time. There were like six production country shows in Vegas. And I mean, guys were coming off the road from huge touring acts. Like I was in a show with George Jones's fiddle player got off the road so he could go play country music in Vegas. Like it was this weird anomaly of everybody in the country market went to Vegas in the early nineties. And that was huge. That ended up being really big from really good for me. I uh, went on to be Wayne Newton's music director there in town for almost eight years and, and loved Newton, my father. And then that really started, I guess, like a bigger production or a bigger projection of work for me. So once I was with Mr. Newton, then, you know, I had toured with Ruth Pointer and Jessica Simpson and Neil McCoy and, and had been in that world. And once you kind of get known in that world as the MD, guitar player, utility guy, whatever they were label, labeling me as yep. at that point, um, you, you know, everybody's looking for that guy to help big camps. So that really helped me out for a long time. Worked feverishly for many years um, just slinging a guitar. So then from there, uh, my wife and I had our own show uh, in Vegas. Uh, When the economy went bad, we moved to Nashville, ended up with a publishing deal, studio on the row. Then I ended up in the computer world. Then I ended up in uh, Pro Tools editing world. And I went to work for a guy by the name of Brian David Willis and became, I've been his friend since I was a kid, but he had moved to Nashville and become insanely successful. So just like any business, right? You get your friends that move and you mm-hmm. kind of move with your friends. Um, and so he really helped me out. I became an editor and I mean, I got editing credits, which means you move all the squiggly lines in the studio and, and help the record out before it goes to mix, right? That's what editing means. But it was a long string of people. I mean, my, my very first project, I was an intern on Taylor Swift's Red Album. And then from there, went on to actually work on everybody from Blake Shelton, Josh Turner, Carl Peterson, for five years, just wow. editing records. So, And that's it was really good day work, you know, really good day work. And I, and I enjoyed it, and you were a part of the industry, but I wasn't doing my craft. Right? I, I wasn't playing anymore. I wasn't doing that kind of thing. 
in that book. So I guess through the fire, we left Nashville and, you know, kind of resettled with the touring band as we were playing through the north of Texas. And half my wife's family's out of New Braunfels. And so everybody was like, you got to get in that south scene. Man. You got to get in that San Antonio, Austin, Houston music scene. Like, that's what I sure. do in a fiddle player guitar player. So there's a quick abridgment on the whole journey that led us to the artistry. And um, I, it was about four years ago where I had just wrapped up a music director position uh, with Disney and Hollywood Records and had uh, still a dear friend of mine, Lucy Hale. She had put out a country record on the mainstream markets and I was her MD and, and um, not medical doctor, uh, music director, different. And <laughs> so, um, so trust me, I, I, can, I can't even take Advil correctly. I'm not a medical doctor. But, uh, but yeah, we had wrapped that up and then it was like, well, who else do you want to work for? And my wife and I went, absolutely nobody. Yeah. So it's time to, time to yeah. go back. But uh, there you go. There's a story. Wow, that that was a that was quite an abridged version, I gotta say. But um, <laughs> um, I I'm gonna take you back a little bit because uh, there's I don't know he's he's such an enigmatic but yet open book person that feels like everybody knows him, but I don't feel like anybody knows him, and that's Wayne Newton. What was it like working for Wayne? And and you said I mean you think of him like a father figure, but um, God man, that's that's gotta be. That's got to be pretty cool to go back and think. I mean, he's kind of like the, I'd put him up there with the Frank Sinatra's of the world and, yeah, you know, the, all those guys. What was it? What was he kind of like? What is he like? Uh, well, I mean, I was 26 when I went to work for him. Um, and I had, I had some game at 26. You know, I really hadn't developed as a musician yet, but, but I definitely had some game at that point. And, and I was terrified. I mean, I was just, the guy was uh, however old he was when I went to work for him. But, I mean, he'd already been there and done that and done all the movies and had all the hit records. And, you know, he was holding down, you know, the biggest residency in Vegas history at that point. Yep. Um, you know, driving a Rolls Royce to work every night and had 80 head of Arabian horses. And <laughs> I mean, what do you want? You know, I mean, it's like the cat had sure, it all. Sure. Yeah, so there's this level of, well, I want to be an artist and I want to be in the music business and then you go to work for a guy like that. And it, and it you know, at first it, it just makes you want to piss your pants. I mean, it really does. He's just, <laughs> it, was, it was that nerve-wracking. Um, sure. But I quickly, he found something in me quickly that he had been missing. Uh, me being kind of a, a very, especially at that point in my career before I was with Wayne, super straight ahead, you know, uh, straight ahead country guitar player, right? Those were my licks. James Burton, right, type of style. And that's what he missed. Like, he hadn't had that. So I was kind of his new favorite <laughs> new favorite thing to have in the band, and he utilized the crap out of it. Uh, you were you kind know, of a shiny new River. toy, right? Oh, yeah, we did Train I Ride by Elvis, and we did uh, Whiskey River and Devil Went Down to Georgia and Dueling Banjos, and, and it just pissed the jazz guys off, right? Here's this whole orchestra okay. of jazz guys, horn players and, you know, guys that can read music like, you know, fly crap on paper, right? And here comes my little sure. and ass, and I, I come in there, and now we're doing country songs. So uh, <laughs> I thought that was fun. I, I think it was funny now at the time. I had to grow some thick yeah. skin to get around them, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then, you know, after you've been together in a, in a trench in Iraq getting shot at in, in vests, you know, uh, or flying across the, you know, flying across the arch from Germany and you're standing in the cockpit or sitting in the cockpit of a C-17 watching the Northern Lights together. I mean, there's some of those experiences uh, with him where you could rarely see past the um, the persona that everybody knew, and the light switch would go off, and he was just Wayne. And I mean, in nine, eight and a half years, there's like that much of it because he was just so so well poised. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, he treated me with great respect. I treated him with great respect, and we both cried and hugged our eyes out when I had to leave. So I, it was all good. Sure. 
Well, and um, you kind of you pointed out something that I um, I feel like is overlooked a lot in Texas music, and I'm kind of changing gears here. But um, you said in Nashville you worked as an editor, and I think there's a lot of um, a lot of musicians and a lot of studios even here in Texas that look over the editing portion of music go writing you know they look at it as just two stage it's just a mix and a master you know what i mean or three stage record mix master they don't really they don't focus on that editing portion um can you can you kind of tell me a little bit about uh that that part of your life and and you know what exactly an editor was doing oh yeah i think that's a great question uh ryan because for the for the for the music nerds that are watching for the artists that are watching um, I was blessed to have that training from Frank Rogers and, and Brian David Willis. And mm-hmm. if you look on every record for the last 25 years, somewhere buried in those notes with what used to be a J card, right? Is uh-huh. Brian David Loopy quote Loopy Willis. I'm using the air quotes a lot today. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this guy basically pioneered what it meant to take a record and you recorded it, it's in the digital world. And then let's say this is the kick drum and this is the bass note. That's not gonna sound that great. So you can go in there one note at a time and put that bass note anywhere you want around that kick drum note. And that's where some artists took that too far. Uh, and the records get really squeaky clean and almost too perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take that all the way to the other side where you're trying to use editing as music, then you get into the pop genre where everything is electronic and there is no humanity. And even the vocals are intentionally, you know, they're intentionally sure. auto-tuned to death. That's the style. Sure. So that may give somebody that doesn't understand editing or what the hell editing is, it gives you kind of a broad range. Uh, So in our genre, right, in Texas country, if you take a Cody Jinx record, let's say, there might be, and I don't know anybody in that camp over there, but there might be two minutes of editing. You know what I mean? On that, on those records, because they want that sound. It's a Willie Nelson record. It's a, you know what I mean? If you look at a Parker McCollum record, and I'm not picking on him, but knowing what I know, that stuff is toiled over to to get fit and corrected and moved. Um, Don't want to blow anybody's mind right now, but a George Strait record is freaking edited to death and... There's not one way to do it, right? So you can do it in the George Strait style, and that's that is unique to how his records sound. There's not it's not one size fits all. You go through a sieve, and only the good stuff comes out. Like a great editor yeah, like yeah. Man gives George Strait that sound. Um, so there you go. There's the nerdy answer to editing. No, yeah, that makes perfect sense, and I I, I think you're right. I think a lot of uh, and uh, you know I I kind of go back and forth with people on on this and. Um, I think what gives Texas country music its sound is its imperfections in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. You know what I mean? But I also think that's what holds tech, a lot of Texas country music artists back from moving up into the mainstream is being okay with imperfection. Uh, yeah. When the guys that are playing at the top 1% of the industry, um, imperfection's not, especially if you're like a guitar player or a, a steel player or whatever imperfection is not going to get you the next gi- next gig you got to know your stuff you got to know the the language you got to know the everything um because i man i i've seen some studio sessions out of nashville and they they have their own language that they speak within the studio about what they're doing and it's it probably you probably understand it as a musician i don't it's just well, I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm going on ten years removed from Nashville. I yeah. would, uh, I definitely speak a hybrid of that vocabulary now, but I don't speak like I was there. 
sure. We just don't we just don't operate that way in different cities now. And yeah, you know, I think it is. I think it is important to aspire to being one or the other. Sure. I think. I think to your point. I think that's where, um, you know, some of the Texas artists shoot for the vibe of a Blake Shelton record. But mm-hmm. they don't understand what it takes to get to that level of literal perfection uh, sure. and musical choice on what goes into that. And I think if you get caught in the middle, that's what uh, prohibits your uh, altitude, right? I think that's what holds you back. So you either got to really be that Cody Jinx law kind of thing or, mm-hmm. or your Cody Johnson which is very much like, very much like a, uh, a Kenny Chesney, right? Kenny Chesney made a lot of really smart choices when it came to editing. Uh, that yep. way, Kenny Chesney didn't sound like a rascal flats. Sure. Right. Kenny, I, Kenny was, I, I, he was very <laughs> leery of the editing process. In fact, most yeah. all of his, Kenny's early records didn't have any of it on there. Uh, but there were certain aspects, and I'll spare you the details of it, that, uh, Brian had pitched Kenny's camp about how this would benefit his mix if he just did these couple of things, and he heard it yep. and he jumped on it. And uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, I, I lose my mind all the damn time because I get caught between those two worlds. <laughs> I love stuff that's raw, and yeah. I seem to be uh, I seem to be incapable of doing that because I've been, you know, I, I have a certain standard, I guess. I, try to I No, I get you. So there's there's some joys in being, um, uh, I, I, it's such a, I don't know if it's a, it, it's a word that just kind of gives, uh, there, there's some joy in being ignorant, I guess, in some, in some areas. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. I, 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 I speak from experience because I, have recently decided to jump in the world of doing live recordings and um, I do the, the mixing and if they want it mastered, then I, I don't master. It's just not something I'm interested in doing. It's yeah. It's a whole different skill set and I will send it off, um, you know, and they can pay someone to master it. But um, the best guy, it, the best guy in the business right now, and I don't care what, what genre you're in. Sure. Um, I knew this dude when he was coming up and building his first studio. And yes, he's in Nashville, but his name is Nathan Dansler, and he owns a company called The Hit Lab, which has, I mean, they're up to a building and a secretary and interns. I mean, he's, sure. he's, he's one of the most brilliant mastering engineers, and he mixes as well, but Y'all better have a good Visa card if you're going to get this guy to mix. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Gra- uh, Grandma better have a thick pocketbook if you're going to use Nathan yeah. But he's worth it. Yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy's phenomenal. He hears things, and he's taught me things that that I had to laugh about the stuff that he could hear just out of a two mix. So anyway, there's my little plug for Nathan Dansler in the Hit Lab. If anybody's looking for a uh, uh, world class master. But yeah, it's I mean, just like you. You touched on on editing, you know, as a precursor to, to mixing. Um, that's a whole different. Yeah, editing's a different skill set than mixing, and mixing's a totally different skill set than mastering. And uh, to really make a great record, I think you need all three plus a great song and a great band, great artist to really make a, a top tier record. And um, that's yeah, you know, I. I, I kind of geek out when it comes to equipment and uh, getting into the, the nitty gritty of, of, of music. Sure. Um, more so than a lot of people. So don't let me squirrel too much and go down a rabbit hole of, of, of music. I apologize. <laughs> no, I, and that's my thing too, right? It, it depends on, it depends on what demographic we're trying to speak to today. If it's yeah. the, uh, if it's the show going demographic, they're already going, what are these nerds talking about? You know, <laughs> if, if it's the home studio guys, they're like, "Oh God, keep this going." You know what I mean? So, yeah, our apologies yeah. to both sides. We're offending everyone at this point. I was down at uh, Rosewood Studios in Tyler a while back talking to Drew Hall. Yeah, and uh, Drew's a 
wonderful guy, and I've I have heard a, a lot of really really good records that yeah. he's he's worked on coming out of there. And um, we were talking, and I we got we got into the the weeds talking about you know um, forty eight kilohertz at at thirty two float forty eight at twenty four you know forty four one at. at <laughs> I'm a 32-float-96 guy myself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah, I am. I'm a 32-float-96, and only so few and, people get that. And, but you have to have special, uh, I mean, you. there's not many modern laptops or sound systems that will even process a 96 uh, kilohertz sound. And, I mean, I have this stuff here in my, my home studio that I work, you know, when I record stuff... Um, at certain places, I, you know, I'm, I have the luxury of working on Allen Heat stuff, and I record everything in 96, 32, but, you know, you go to most places, and if they're rocking a Behringer or a Midas board, I'm walking out of there with a 4824, so um, it's, just the, it's just the equipment that a lot of people have, but um, I know. Sonically, sonically, I would say there's probably 99% of the world that cannot hear the difference between 44.1 and 96. Here's how, here's how we used to describe this to people that were would always ask us these questions, right? It'd be like, well, how come it's so much? Or how come nobody cares? Nobody cares if it's a yeah. if it's a Sennheiser or a Telefunken or a nobody cares if it's 96, right? Here's my answer to that. You damn right. Nobody gives a crap about it. You know what they do know? If it sucks or not. And that's mm-hmm. their common denominator. Is this good? Yes. Is this bad? Yes, that's their common denominator. So it's it's more than the sum of its parts when you start adding up the microphones and the geeky shit and all this kind of stuff to get to that product. So yep. well, the guy doesn't care that's listening to it, but he does care if it's bad. If it sucks and it doesn't grab him, then yep. that's the difference. So. That's a that's a that's a well put thing. Well. we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll. <laughs> Let's get out of the weeds a little bit. Get back to uh, to to you, your 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 life, your career, your music. We're not doing a uh, studio podcast about gear. And uh, yeah, I mean, we can. I'm I'm all for it. We, you you want to give a rig rundown real quick? What are you playing on right now? Oh, let's see. What am I playing on? I've got a uh, Origin Effects Cali 76 compressor on the front end of my guitar that I absolutely love. Uh, I think the Wampler Bell. Uh, Overdrive distortion, whatever I think, whatever they call it, that overdrive bell is the most transparent front end gloriousness. Um, I have a bonsai a distortion that I saw Brent Mason do a, a clip on that I I didn't even hear it. I just went to Amazon and ordered it because it was good enough for Brent, sure. good enough for me. Um, and then I recently added the Strymon Timeline and Big Sky, which for guitar players, you know, that's like the center of the uh, contemporary Christian music guitar world. Hit a note that yep. lasts for 10 minutes. Um, but I've added those in my own flavor and then uh, have a hand-wired uh, American Hot Rod Deluxe that's modified. And I've modified it again after that into a dissimilar 212 uh, cabinet. Now we're really nerds. But there you go. For guitar players, yep. it means something. And that's what we're doing. And then Absolutely. I have my guitar, which is sitting over there, my my Fender. Uh, it, it started out being a regular Tele, but I kind of modified it into that three-pickup Nashville Tele. And its its name is Jackson, as in my dog, Jackson. Shih dog, Jackson. Anyway, there you go. There's my rig rundown. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, I, um, I'm happy you still have your your guitars because you had an incident down in Houston not that long ago where you came out from the hotel or wherever it was at and your gear was gone. Um, it kid, do you mind? I know it's probably painful, but do you mind getting into that? Like, what happened? Oh, you know, we were tired. Uh, we had loaded all the guitars on the side door of the trailer and it was a new trailer so we, we just had regular padlocks on it and no extra security and somewhere the security cameras uh, saw that these guys were watching or knew when the hotel security left at 6 in the morning 
and they were already parked next to our trailer at 5.30, waited for the security to leave, went around, you know, took whatever they yeah. could, grinders or whatever, and beavered through the side of the door. Took about $18,000 worth of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just heartbreaking. Uh, we lost a lot of... And the one piece I got back was Jackson, a Telecaster that I've had with me forever. That I've, you know, it's been the one instrument that I've, it's like Mayer Strat. It's like that thing that just speaks to your hands. It's the one thing you can speak to. Sure. Never another guitar like it. So anyway, it never leaves my side now. I found it in the pawn shop for a hundred bucks and I had to buy my own guitar back. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, well, I mean, you guys are just fated to be together. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, yeah, you probably it's, modified it so much they had no idea what it was, more or less. Like this thing's a piece of shit. I'm not. I don't want this guitar. Here it is. Oh, oh, weird. The radius is weird. The fret wire is weird. The pickup is weird. Like, yeah, that's oh, fine. It's only my guitar. Yeah. Well, um, we uh, we caught up at the the T3R, and I remember you specifically telling me that um, that you really like John Mayer and yeah. his playing style. Um, and I was on a, I had a podcast yesterday with a uh, 14 year old Peyton Riley, um, which is down there in the, in Houston as well, Houston area. Nice. And she is, she's released her first song, long live Cowboys to radio. And she's got another one that she just released. Um, but you know, she, she told me she's listening to a lot of like uh, green day offspring, um, 90s kind of garage band type stuff but um what about i mean i love john Mayer's playing too i i i really do think that guy is is kind of a master at at improvisation more or less but mm. uh what about john Mayer's playing do you kind of look up to if you don't mind getting into that i uh, i think he does something really really well that vince gill actually uh, articulated years ago. Vince said, I try and play like a singer. Mm. And I think John does that. I think a lot of guitar players, and I'm abridging that statement that Vince said, he also went on to say, I try and I play, I try and sing like a player and I try and play like a singer. That's how Vince articulated how he sings and plays his instrument. Sure. Which to me, my translation of that is, if I'm going to take a guitar solo, it has to speak like another voice. It can't just be a bucket of notes that I want to impress people with. And I mean, so many guitar players go down that knowledge rabbit hole of, look what I know, look what I can play, and they forget to speak a melody, and they forget to what I call sticking the landing. So if I'm watching mm -hmm. a gymnast in the Olympics and they do all this fancy stuff and then they fall on their ass when they get to the end of it and they don't stick the landing, the whole thing's kind of pointless. So I sure. think of writing guitar solos that way. Uh, they can do fancy stuff. They've got to say something, but you've got to pick a spot that you're going to come down in as a guitar player and Ta-da, right, you've got to give it that final, it's over now. Now I've said this, and here's my last note, and it hands it off to whatever's next, a vocal, a breakdown, uh, right? It has to hand it off next. So to me, that's what Mayer does exceptionally well. He plays like a vocalist, and he always hands it off to whatever's coming up next. It's so uh, wonderfully sensitive, so. So kind of sticking with that guitar theme, and I'm going to add a little bit of stuff that I, I'm not trying to talk about, but we can talk about it if you want. But I did hear somewhere talking about Vince Gill, and I think it was on a video on YouTube, but I know Vince lost a lot of his guitars and the flood back in Nashville back in the day. Yeah. But in the same token, I believe I heard somewhere, and maybe you can, if you know, you know. If not, I'll have to look it up. I believe they, that it, it was said... Vince uh, has more pre-war Martin guitars than the Martin Museum. I had heard that, but can't confirm it. I, I've I've only met Vince a couple of times, and you wouldn't know me. But um, but I have heard that rumor, but I can't. So I can't. I do know he has probably the coolest in-home studio setup. He has like converted. I don't know if you saw have seen on some of the videos, but he's converted like drawers he has like these deep drawers 
um, that his guitars lay in head, neck, head, neck, head, neck. He can fit four guitars in each drawer laying flat. They're surrounded by foam, and they are watertight drawers. So um, Makes sense. <laughs> humidity controlled, all that good stuff. But um, talking about improvisator, talking about guitar players again, uh, what's your... What's your take on people like uh, like Marcus King and um, like some of the Coulter walls that were you know like Coulter I think came up more on like the vinyl string you know kind of um, guitars yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I've I've noticed that kind of what you were saying uh, you know sticking the landing. I think uh, I think there's a lot of of really fancy play going on with no rhyme or reason. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Like, mm-hmm. they stay in the key, but there's really no purpose to some of it. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Oh, totally. And I, and my example on that is, you know, BB King could hit one note, and you knew it was BB King. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Eric Clapton is the same way. I think Eric has a voice oh, yeah. in, his, in his fingers. Steve Warner has a voice in his fingers. Um, and I think it takes a lifetime. I do. I think it takes a lifetime to find that. I think one or well, two of the only superstars outside of Mayer that I can think of that were born with that is uh, Derek Trucks. Um, uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band. Derek Trucks, those great slide, slide player. I mean, you watch videos from that kid when he was like 12, 14 years old. And he sounds like, he sounds like Derek. You know what I mean? He's got this thing, the way he speaks. And so... I don't know that that isn't just a gift, but I also think you can find it. I think you can work with it, inspired, right? And I see so many I can't even keep up now. I see, I just saw another kid uh, last night, you know, in my scrolling feed, and he had this SG, and and he was kind of doing the hybrid thing like I do, where you always keep the pick here, but I use my acrylic nails to speak with this hand, uh-huh. and he was always he was really. Holding this, but then using his hand to voice what he was doing on the right side. And I was like, oh, shit, that's a voice, right? That's unique. That's mm-hmm. like like Amy Winehouse was to a microphone. The sure. first word yeah. out of her mouth, you knew it was Amy Winehouse. I mean, it was just, sure. that's who it was. So um, I think that that's becoming uh, Mateus, another great guitar player who speaks with through his hands. Um, so anyway, I think that's becoming more of the norm. I think there are... I think we've gone through that phase where the knowledge expanded and everybody learned to play fast and great. Now everybody can play fast now. That used to didn't be a thing. Now it's a thing. But there now it's being, I think, regarded more important to be able to speak and have your own voice in the guitar world now. So sure, sure, sure. Um, well, I let's talk about some of the music you've released. So one of my favorite songs from an early earlier release of yours was Cowboy's Daughter. And um, I even like, I really like the music video on it. it, it Thanks, man. The music video really does tell a story. Um, tell me about, because was, was that your foyer into the single world? Was that, was that the first single when you were like, I'm here for Texas country kind of thing? Uh, first single was a tune called My First Beer. Oh, that's uh, right. That's right. I'm sorry. I, I had written My First Beer about uh, when I was a young teenager, however old I was, and my dad I were out hunting and he handed me a beer and said, don't tell you about it. And uh, so that always stuck <laughs> with me. So that, that was my first beer. Sure. Uh, and then I, I might've been one after that. And then Cowboy's Daughter was written um, around the story. My late father-in-law was a horse trader and he was a rodeo clown. And so when it came time for me to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage, I had got the horse barn and he was doing the evening feeding watering and showed him up the bus and my our daughters were about to the point where they both started dating somebody pretty serious and i knew that that question was going to come back it hasn't it's about to um but they um i realized that that was the song like i had been in that position asking for a girl's hand in marriage, and then and now it's going to get turned around on me because I have we have three kids, but two of them are daughters. I knew that that was going to get turned. Around. So that's how Cowboy's Daughter came. Well, it's a really it's a really good song, um, and I 
I think that one, and then there's another one that you have, which is um, you make pretty look easy. Which Thanks, I think is man. That about, about your wife, right? Yeah, yeah. Michael Boggs, a brilliant songwriter out of Nashville. He's, he's a contemporary Christian artist as well, um, and a, uh, a pastor at Brentwood Baptist in South Nashville. At least that's where mm-hmm. he was last time I, I knew of his employment. But he and I and Brian White wrote um, What I Already Know, uh, which was uh, ended up being really good. It got caught by a whole bunch of different people. And then Michael Box and I were writing again one day, and he came over and he goes, man, I can just see you saying to your wife, you know, you make pretty look easy. You don't even have to try. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's, that's a song. Let's do that, you know. Yeah, so we wrote it, it three days ago. <laughs> and uh, you know what bugged me is that I've never released that song as a single. I think I'll repackage it and just send it out there into the world as a single because it's such a cool tune. It, it is a really, really good song. Um, one of my guilty pleasure songs uh, from you, and you actually played it when I saw you out at the Trio Club, was um, Walla Walla Prison. It's a, a really fun song. That's a really fun song. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Walla Walla Prison? Uh, my dad wrote Walla Walla Prison back in the early 60s. Uh, my dad was very late in life when he had me. He was born in 1930, so... He was 45 years old at me. So I had this really cool uh, ability to look back and see history from firsthand perspective, not grandpa, but dad, right? And yep. so he lived through this period of the 60s where that was really that style of music and split bars and, you know, moved way different back then. And sure. so he wrote this song called Walla Walla Prison, which is a little town up in uh, southeast Washington with a very famous prison. And uh, so he wrote this song about breaking out of prison and running away with the warden's daughter. And uh, I loved that song forever. And it actually became a line dance craze in, I think it was Italy, France. And uh, this was some years ago. People were sending me videos of like, you know, 75 people in matching shirts in Finland doing a dance to, you know, Walla Walla Prison, so Dad never got to see that, but uh, it's pretty funny. It's a good song. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I too was born to uh, some older parents. I, you know, I'm, I was born in '84, and my parents were both born '48. So, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, you know, I, my, it, it, it is different having older parents than having parents that were were younger, and my kids were. You know, I was 19 when my first son was born, so... Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it, I was young. And yeah, I did the same thing. I reversed it. I was young. I was yeah. 23, yeah. I think, when I had uh, Tana. So it's 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 interesting. And then um, I was telling you before we started playing one of my current... One of your current... So, more current songs, um, but everything. I, man, that is such a well-produced, well-sung well-written song uh it's one of those songs that i can i can turn on in the studio and i can just close my eyes and i can picture the words flying right off the page it is such a good song can you, you tell me you. a little bit about everything i appreciate that yeah um everything is is that long-term relationship struggle lament right it's not every day is perfect and you know she ticks me off and and I frustrate her and yet it's okay. That's what everything is. Everything doesn't mean first dates and roses and there's no, you know, funny smells in the bathroom. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> everything means you're my everything. There's, there's everything sure. compassed into one human being. So that was the premise of that song. And I actually like writing around that premise because I think it's real. I, I think that the new love, you know, infatuation thing I don't know that weirds me out I guess because of the, the spot that I'm in in life I've lived too long with one woman to see the world any other way yeah um, where was that where was that recorded where did you record that one at uh, everything I believe Brian White played drums on that I used to play guitar for Brian White and 
So we traded out a lot of sessions together. And then I finished it in my, uh, in this studio, not where it's sitting right now, but this, yeah, yeah. This, this group of gear, I finished it there. And then a gentleman by the name of Casey Wood from the Insanery in Nashville uh, mixed that and mastered it, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, okay. And he's a brilliant, that guy's brilliant and beautiful, warm sounding gear and another great uh, Nashvilleian engineer mastering mixing agent. Uh, for sure. Uh, Casey Wood mixed um, going out with my boots on and running out of moonlight and you know, he's got several hits to his mixing tracks. Sure. And super great cat. So. And then um, you have Do You Want to Dance Out which is a, that's a cover, right? And I, there's a couple different versions out there. Who was the original singer? That was it. Was it the Beach Boys? Was it the Mamas and Papas? Like, who was the original singer of "Do You Want to Dance"? Because I grew up with that song. Okay, so I I know the song you're talking about, and that's "Oh Girl." Okay. So do, yeah. Do you do you want to dance? I wrote. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm. Th- I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> But I, I know I know where you're going with this question. It's actually the song is "Oh Girl," and so I wrote the verses, and Warner Brothers gave me credit for I think one third of the right or whatever it is, because I sure. took the Chai Lights melody and their words and compiled them into a country-sounding chorus with their melody. I got literally had to go through a submission process for Warner Brothers of, to make it legal. <laughs> so they wouldn't send me a cease and desist and sue me. Um, sure, but, sure. Um, anyway, that's that. It was the Chai Lights. Uh, they had the first very almost ballady version of that song. Oh, girl, you in trouble if you left me now. Like it just really loped. It was real easy. Had that harmonica line in it. Mm, great record. Uh, and then there was another guy in the eighties, I believe that had a hit on it. I feel dumb to can't think of the name right now. But it was very much like the original. Uh, and so those were the two versions, I think, that everybody hears in their head when they're, you know, walking through the grocery store or they, you know, stumble on the oldie station. It was either the Chai Lights or that second version. So the third version, I just completely abandoned their uh, verses yeah. altogether and wrote my own verses based on a hillbilly scenario. Don't do So there you go. <laughs> Uh, well, whatever it is, I like it, man, and I apologize. I that's all right, I, man. I sometimes my brain. I, I listen to so much music, uh, doing the whole radio station thing. I, um, I, I had a massive music library before I owned a radio station. Yeah. Um, and now I get probably. Oh man, this month has been heavy too. I think last month I got twenty five hundred songs emailed to me. From various radio promoters, just people that, and it, there's no time to listen to all that stuff. And so, nope. no way. I go, I go through, and I, if it, the title, if the title looks interesting, I will click on it. If it doesn't have album artwork, it gets closed immediately. I don't even listen to it. If you don't have the time to attach album artwork to your song, it's not worth me listening to it. So I'm yep. sorry. It all, it all has to pull you in. Yep. Um, but. Yeah, it's crazy, and you know, there's certain radio promoters out there that I trust. Um, if they send it to me, I will. I'll, I'll put it mo- for the for the most part. I'll put it on my radio station at least for a little bit, um, without even listening to it. And as I listen to my radio station in the car, I'll be like, "What? Who is this? I've never heard this song before. What? Who Wait a minute, my radio oh, station. What am I doing? I don't like this. And then I go home and I take it off. But. <laughs> um, so what you have, um, you have some shows coming up and you have, uh, some people that you wanted to kind of thank and shout out, right? Um, no, that- hugely so hugely. So we have it. We have this new whiskey sponsor out of, out of Alvin, uh, South Houston and they're called gentle Ben. And I'm not kidding. You. If you are in the bourbon at all. They make three products. They make gin, two different types of bourbon, uh, and 
and a vodka. And it's incredible. They have this science behind what they do where they go in with this distilling process or finishing process, as they call it, and they target certain fatty acids and they target certain types of alcohol, all these different types of alcohol in a distilled product. And they go in there and target and just pull what they want out at certain levels. And they, it's, I just got to try it. They're all over specs. They're all over total wine. Uh, and I've seen them here in Austin, too, in the total wine. So check out Gentle Bin. It's, it's good stuff. Gentle they're great Bin. Yeah, I got a specs right down the road, and I might just have to go pick up a bottle because I, I think I drink a glass of whiskey um, every two years. Okay, um, gotcha. So that, you're due. That's about that's about how often I drink anymore. Um, yeah, I, I'm too busy to drink anymore. That's that's like you, you must be living life pretty good if you got time to drink and 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 do all that. That's just my I I work I like 16 hour days. I think I work too much. Yeah, I work too much. But <laughs> well, I sure appreciate you taking the time today, man. Thank you. Yeah, well, um, you've got some uh, some shows coming up, and um, I will make sure that I get this out in time so that people can hear about these shows, but you are opening for Corey Morrow this Friday, right? This Friday, yeah. Corey Morrow, the Heist Theater in Houston. I'm going to do a little set right in front of Corey uh, there. Uh, the next weekend, if any of the fans are out at NASCAR in Las Vegas, we'll be at the Motor Speedway in the morning playing the infield for those people that have those expensive lanyards to get down to the infield. Okay. Uh, the next weekend, what am I doing? I think the next weekend, um, I think I'm with Corey again up in Fort Worth. Uh, Very cool. Doing an acoustic up there to open for him there. They're a great camp. I love Corey. He's such a sweetheart. Sure, yeah, sure. Too. Um, but yeah, uh, all that's coming on. And then looking into next year, just something to start talking about now. Um, you know, we uh, booked the Big As Texas Music Festival next May. Congratulations. So, uh, we're, thank you. Yeah, we're excited about that. And I think we've got a Saturday or Sunday slot. Um, and I think we're going to be support for somebody that's going to make our socks roll up and down. You know, obviously we're not we're not going to be headlining one of those nights, but I think we got direct support on something big. And I'm tickled to death. I think it's May 11th or 12th. So uh, everybody be well, watching I mean, that. We can't wait to play that. That's hard work. And plus you, you're, you're an entertaining act. And um, I do want to touch on this real quick because it's, um, it's something that it might, makes my, my co-host Dusty cringe because he's, he's an artist as well. And I work, I, I, I work and photograph and um, meet a lot of young artists. And I don't have a problem telling people after a, a set, hey, man, I loved your set, but you need to move. You're too, you're too much, you're too statuesque. It would be better if you got out and did some, some, some different stuff. And he, like, his jaw drops. He's like, what? How are you going to tell someone how to do their art? And I said, you tell me how to do my art all the time, Dusty. You tell me yeah, you, right. want my different, you want my video different. You don't like this. You don't like that. I'm going to tell artists that, you know. But you are a very, very entertaining act. And um, I will say that I would take a a, a, a a pretty good entertainer over a stellar singer nine times out of ten. Well, cool, man. Yeah, I uh, I always catch myself, you know, with a lot of energy on stage. In fact, we was playing Fry High Country Store in New Brothels uh, two weeks ago. And I was doing my typical thing, man. You know, I got a wireless fiddle. I'm jumping around like a... Trying to keep my analogies clean yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. I'm jumping around <laughs> Like a crack attic, I guess. Maybe that's the nicest yeah, one. I can yeah, yeah. And you know, I had some guy in the audience making fun of me before it was all over, and it was like I was having a ball. But yeah, I, I don't, I, I just don't. I think there's certain artists that that's their style. That's what they do. To a and um, <laughs> you know, so uh, but for me, I'm gonna, I, I like to be like Sure. Well, um, for people that want to find where you're playing. And all that good stuff. Uh, 
what website or where where do they need to look to find your tour schedule and and find your bio and all that other good stuff buy your merch gotcha uh we do most of our merch sales at the show so if you're on social media both facebook and instagram just look scotty alexander uh and look for the little blue check mark that's us on both instagram and facebook um and then uh website scottyalexander.com and schedule is there and as of this very moment it's updated through november get ready to add december later today uh, and um videos and all kinds of stuff on the, on the web but yeah scottyalexander.com is a website and just scotty alexander check mark on all the socials cool well i've got just a couple more questions for you and these are uh one of them is just a not one I ask everybody, but I do want to ask you. So there was, I, I had an interview with Sonny Seseda, um, who I met at um, T3R, uh, the Future Faces Night. And you were there for the Future Faces Night as well. And um, I will say that, that Sonny said he had, he, he, he was told to bring his accordion, but he really had no idea that he was going to be playing with AJ, nor what he was going to be playing. Was that kind of the same thing you got? You just were like, hey, come up on stage, and you didn't quite know what was going to be done. It was all kind of last-minute thrown together, because if it was, that came off really well. Yeah, that's that's AJ uh, in uh, uh, what him and Kendall Beard uh, yeah. do. And I'm having a complete stroke right now. Uh, uh, love, and, love and Chaos? Uh, Love and Chaos, yep. Yeah, Love and Chaos. Um, I just know them individually, you know what I mean? So yeah, I think yeah, of their band yeah, yeah. caused me a stroke, but yeah. Um, but they're they're great about that. It's like, you know, at that level, it's just like, here's an original song you've never heard before. One, two, three, four. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> just react. Hold your instrument and react. And I love that. I thrive on that stuff. I, I, to me, that's, that's where you really keep your knife sharp. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed doing that the second year I've done it. AJ. And then, yeah, Sonny showed up with the accordion. It turned into a... It was a moment. Yeah. It was, it was a moment. moment. Yeah, I agree. It was a good moment. All right. So these are the, the ones that I've been closing every podcast with, and you're just going to have to go with it. Rapid fire. Um, and I think I asked these at the T3R right when we did an interview, but you're going to get asked again. But I'm ready. If you could write one song with any person, alive or dead, mm. be limited to one song, who and why? Wow. Um, that is, I mean, it's such a good question, and I will overthink everything. Uh, Who's the first person that comes to mind? The, oddly enough, the first person that came to mind was Don Williams. Ooh. Um, Don has a smoothness or had a smoothness to his soul, in my opinion, that he put into his lyrics. And I think if there's anything I struggle with as a human being, it's that peace to my soul. I'm always kind of in some sort of storm. And so he just seemed like such an anchor lyricist that matched his vibrational frequency as a, as a human um yeah, him him i would i would want to i would want to learn that from him i would want to i would want to feel that in a, in a writing experience and see what comes out so donald okay this next one i, I i'm gonna kind of custom tailor it for you. you would you consider yourself i gotta ask this in front would you consider yourself more of an electric player or would you consider yourself more of an acoustic player electric Okay, so this is uh, an impossible I, question. This is the impossible question. This was crafted after I saw a thing on TikTok where um, this guy was like, if you, uh, if you had to pick one thing that would never have existed, and it was like an impossible question for Texans. It was like high school football, college football, or pro football. Right. You had to pick one that never happened. So your impossible question is if you had to pick an electric guitar company that never existed between Fender, Gibson, and 
You know what? Let's throw Paul Reed Smith in there. Which one would you choose and why? So one of those three that never existed. I got to give up one of those, right? I give up one. Yeah. PRS. Okay. Um, I have played Gibsons that have changed my life. Um, as I said before, my telly is you know, Jackson, Fender, and I repeatedly find Fenders that speak to me. Um, I've only played one PRS that just, I was like, ooh, ooh, might have to buy this. Ooh, I might have to buy this. And outside of that, every time I pick one up. So for me, PRS. Well, it was actually easier than I thought. Man, I should have yeah. chose something else, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then the last one comes from Dusty's son, Braxton, who, uh, Formed this question talking to Sean Scott White, I believe it was, on the Texas Tailgate podcast. But uh, what would you currently consider your spirit animal to be? Um, a, a raccoon. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. There's something I, there. I, you don't I, even need to explain that one, but there's something there. Yeah, <laughs> a raccoon. I'm... I'm, I feel like I'm at this point in my life where I am, I'm just constantly running and searching and picking things up and investigating and dodging cars. So, yeah. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Well, um, before we let you go, I got to say thank you one last time to all my sponsors. And I'm not going to get into long explanations, but be sure to check out smithmusic.com, Sharp Supply Leather Company, R. Watson Boots, Texas Select Beverage Company, Fort Worth Camera, and Cinco Microphones. And also be sure to check out scottyalexander.com and check out all of his new music on whatever streaming platform you go to. But, Scotty, thank you so much for coming on and uh, just kind of having a good conversation about a whole lot of nothing with me. Well, Brian, I I appreciate your questions and the time... uh, right back at you, man. Glad to see you're doing well and uh, hope to catch up soon, brother.